In May of 2008, John Helton got very ill unexpectedly. He had three brain diseases at one time and no immunity. He was a newlywed of three and a half months when this happened. He miraculously survived, but a few years later, the unbelievable happened. You are not going to want to miss this interview with John Helton. Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel? Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Graham. Helton is an author, certified relationship coach, certified professional coach, certified bereavement coach, certified relationship master coach, certified group coach, and certified laser coach. Wow. He's also a talk show host, a speaker, a motivator. Some people might have drowned in a sea of self-pity, having to go through what John went through. John instead used that pain to be an encouragement to help others. And as all of you know who are regular listener, listeners to Never Ever Give Up Hope, each one of the people that I interview basically do the same thing. Take their problems, their discouragement, their tragedies, and turn them around so that other people can learn from them as well and apply what they learned to their own lives. So this is going to be exciting because as you heard in the intro, John has been through it all and yet one of the things that motivates him the most is humor. So I'm really looking forward to this and to share this with you. Now did I mention that John is blind? Think about that. Welcome John. Well thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Well, I can hear it. I can hear it in your voice and we're excited to have you. So let's start with what happened in May of 2008. Shortly, I think three and a half months after you were married. Yes, absolutely. It, it was a wild ride. To, <clears throat> excuse me. It was a wild ride to say the least. I had been married three and a half months and I was getting ready for work one morning. I turned around from the sink and got really dizzy. My left arm went numb, dropped by my side. That freaked me out a little bit. Started walking around the house in a panic. And I was a smart man. I didn't wake her up. <clears throat> Excuse me. Because uh, she was a late sleeper. 
And so I didn't really know what to do. Called my mom. Long story short, got me to the emergency room. They said I either had a stroke, that was a warning of a stroke, or it was a pre-stroke. And so they wanted to keep me overnight for observations. Not a problem. Woke up the next morning at 6 a.m., went down for an MRI, and that's the last thing I remember in full. Oh, my word. Yeah. When I got back to the room, I was saying some bizarro stuff like, I need my hurt, and where's my hurt, and all kinds of crazy stuff. And um, I don't know how many details you want, but I'm going to just keep it <laughs> keep it basic because I have a tendency to tell you everything. Um, <laughs> tell us just, what you want. <laughs> well, the doctor that was overseeing me in the hospital, let's just say he probably should find another profession because being a doctor <laughs> is not what he was cut out to be. So <clears throat> we'll explain this part later because my terminology might confuse people. Um, Her name was Sherry, and she came in the next morning after the MRI, having no clue what was going on. She stood in the door to check with me, and the doctor was already in there. And he turned around and looked at her and said, is there stress in your marriage? She's like, what? Wow. Is there stress in your marriage? She said, "Uh, we've been married three and a half months. No. And he said, I think that's what his problem is. It's too much stress in your marriage. Oh, my goodness. So I think that I don't know how long he went to school to learn about how to diagnose <laughs> marital stress disorder, but apparently that's what I had. Um, he, not Dr. Phil, but he did stay at all. Oh, you know that joke. But yes. anyway, she was panicking, and she goes out to the nurse's station because I had a massive headache. And she said, how long has he been like this? And they were like, oh, since he got back from the MRI, like kind of nonchalant. And she said, hmm. what, have, what have you done? Well, we gave him some Tylenol. And she was furious. Really? Oh, my gosh. And she had this unbelievable gift. When she was hot like that, she stayed calm. I, I don't know how she did it. <laughs> but when um, that got to that point... I was refusing to take some tests because I was so out of my head. And again, I barely remember any of this. If you can imagine having a dream, you wake up the next morning, you can only remember bits and pieces of the dream. That was my life at that moment. Why was she so upset about the Tylenol? Because I was talking out of my head. I was saying bizarre stuff. I was making no sense. My head was killing me and nobody was doing anything. The doctor was being rude. Telling me, telling her that we had too much stress in our marriage, which is why I guess I'm talking crazy and my head hurts so bad. And so when she goes out to the nurse's station, they're like, well, we gave him Tylenol. We don't know what's going on, but we gave him Tylenol. Okay. <laughs> she, she was just not real happy because of the, the whole situation. Well, thankfully, her brother-in-law, which would be her sister's bro- uh, husband, is one of the most well-respected heart surgeons in the world. And he was only 80 miles from us. Oh, wow. That's wonderful. Yeah. And he, when he found out everything that was going on with me in the hospital, he called her up and he said, don't you move him. Because they were trying to discharge me because I refused to take a test. Now, at this time, I had been diabetic for like, gosh, 25 years, 20 years, whatever it was. Mm -hmm. I, I don't refuse tests. I've been through it. I don't refuse that stuff. 
but I was so out of my mind that I could not understand what was going on. And they, mm. it was an EKG they were trying to do or an EEG and they were putting all those little rubber things on your head and on your chest. And I kept taking them off and the doctor, <laughs> the, yeah, the doctor that said, you know, he has marital stress disorder. I heard him say this, even though I was completely out of it. I heard him yell to somebody, fine, if he's not going to take the test, discharge him. And I'm like, I'm thinking, um, when I'm saying really crazy stuff, does that not give you a clue there's something going on? Of course, I didn't think about that in the hospital because I was out of it. And he tried to discharge me. And that's when my brother-in-law, her, her brother-in-law called and said, don't you dare move him. We're going to arrange it. Well, when he called the doctor, my brother-in-law called the doctor, the doctor got confrontational with him. Then my brother-in-law, get this, my brother-in-law then mentioned his name and who he was. And they said that the doctor at the hospital did a backward step like, oh, because my Wow. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> yeah. And they said he changed his tune really fast. So they put me in an ambulance, got me to his hospital. I was in that hospital for eight days. Um, they released me, but they had run all of these tests. They all kept coming back negative. Every one of them. They were stunned. And but two tests hadn't come back. The West Nile virus, herpes simplex virus. Herpes simplex is very common. Eighty five percent of Americans get it. And then you had the West Nile virus. Those are the only two tests that hadn't come back. So they said it's got to be the herpes simplex that's causing these issues. And so they sent me home, got me medication. Well, that was a Thursday. Friday, I went to see my daughter play a soccer game, went out to eat, felt great. Saturday morning, went to a soccer game. At halftime, I said, somebody take me home. I don't feel well. Mm. They got me home. I was fairly sick that night. Sunday, I was feeling okay. Sunday night, right at midnight, Sherry noticed something wrong. And she walked up to me and she said, are you okay? And I'm going to say this, and this is not to be humorous or funny, but this is exactly what I responded with and how I responded. I went, 911. And she freaks out, grabs her phone, tries to call the ambulance. I remember the paramedics getting there. They said they asked me if I could get to the stretcher in the living room because my house had a couple curves, corners. I said, sure. And as I walked to the living room, I started to fade and I walked past the stretcher and almost went out the door and they got me on it. They had to take me to that same hospital, got me to the emergency room. And this part, I remember none of it. I don't remember any of this at all. I remember getting to the stretcher and walking past it, and that's it. But they said in the emergency room, now let me set it up for you. At this time, I'm 5'8 and a half, 5'9, about a whopping 130 pounds. They had to get my dad and two security guards to hold me down. <laughs> because I was that yes. out of it, had no idea what was going on. I don't remember any of that but they ended up getting me to the original hospital fighting security guards it may have been three i can't remember for sure what they told me but my dad was in the middle of it trying to hold me down they put me in an ambulance took me back to my brother-in-law's hospital soon as i got there lumbar punctures all this stuff and they um kept on running all these tests nothing is showing up he got the top, I believe it was 10 doctors in the area to collaborate with him 
trying to figure out my case because it was so off the wall. <laughs> and so they, they worked and they did this, they did that. And they, even on the, um, four month anniversary, I say the four month anniversary, they were doing a biopsy on me to see if I had cancer and he had to stick a knife in my chest to do the biopsy. And I said, isn't that an in-law thing on our anniversary? I'm getting stabbed with a knife by my in-laws. What a shock. Um, that's supposed to be funny. I don't know if anybody laughed at that. Cause <laughs> I did. <laughs> okay, good. Cause, um, you know, <laughs> this is kind of way I roll. I'll throw something humorous in the middle of the seriousness. It's just, just what I do. Um, it came back, no cancer and everybody's stunned. Even the top doctors are like, what is going on? So with all of that, they had been feeding me a wide variety of antibiotics. My brother-in-law went to Sherry and said, look, we have no idea what's going on. West Nile virus came back negative. The herpes simplex came back negative. We don't know what's going on. So here's what's going to have to happen. We are going to have to find the bug in that biopsy that's causing all of these issues. Uh The problem is the chances of us finding it are slim to none because there are so many antibodies in him. Right, right. Millions of them with that one bug somewhere in there. And he said, and and this is what's crazy. If he told her, if we don't find the bug, we have to guess at what he has. And if we have to guess, we had better be right or it's going to be really bad. Now, I'm glad I was out of it at that point because my thought would have been, so let me get this straight. (laughs) 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 Me living is based on your best guess. Why am I not confident in this? But they found the bug in the midst of all of that. Completely just found it. Oh, my goodness. And so they diagnosed me. They did tell Sherry that I might lose my motor skills because of the amount of brain pressure I had. They said I might come out of the hospital like the, with the mentality of a 12-year-old. Everybody celebrated, said that was an upgrade. <laughs> Cue the laugh, Carolyn. Cue okay, laugh. I did, I did, I did. I, I had myself on mute there, but I was howling in the background. So. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, I had... You want me to tell the, the what I had in the brain? Sure. Okay. Well, I had cerebral histoplasmosis, which they said they'd never seen. Histoplasmosis is common. You might get it in the eyes or in the spine, but it's a very common thing. But I had it in the brain, which caused me to have meningitis and oh, encephalitis at the same time. Now, for those listening and you don't know what those are, the lining of your brain, when it gets infected with something, it causes meningitis. It's an infection in the lining of your brain. Mm-hmm. And what happens, your lining starts to squeeze your brain. And that's why people die from it. So you've got my lining squeezing my brain, closing in, right? Encephalitis is the brain swelling. So my brain's getting bigger. The lining on the brain is squeezing. So you've got these two things working against each other. And the fact that I am even talking right now is a miracle in itself. No kidding. But I am sitting here talking. I have my motor skills. I still play drums. I still bowl. I did not lose any motor skills. The only thing that happened was loss of vision. 
So that's the story in a nutshell of what I went through and what caused the vision loss. And Did they ever figure out how this infection, how you got it in the first place? Yes, and I, I dealt with rheumatoid arthritis. And back in the 2004, 2005, actually 2003, 2004, it got incredibly bad. And they decided to put me on Humira. Really? The Humira depleted my immune system. So I had nothing to fight against any viruses or fungal virus, whatever they call that stuff. I'm not a medical guy, so uh -huh. I don't really know. But whatever it was that was in my body, there was nothing to fight it due to the Humira depleting my immune system. Now, Humira is some good stuff. It allowed me to get back to normal life. But you have to be really careful and make sure your doctors are running tests and keeping up with everything because for me – it, it darn near took me out when my immune system got depleted. So, yeah, that's how it – that's what we believe. I want to say that. I don't want to send out any uh, accusations or anything, but, you know, common sense that, that makes sense that because my immune system was gone, that the Humira is what took out my immune system, and they took me off of it immediately. But here's the wild thing. I couldn't do much of anything back in those days because the, the arthritis was so bad. Today – you just heard me say it. I play drums. I bowl. I wrestle grandkids in the living room floor, and I win. <laughs> now, I don't wrestle the wife because, you know. <laughs> no, no kidding. Continue a little bit of, uh, we don't need to stretch it out too far, but a little bit of what happened, and then what happened in 2017 after you got your life back together. We had to adjust to me living blind and not being able to go back to work. And when I say blind, it's legally blind. I probably have three to five percent vision and um, had to get used to living like that. And her job was ending that year as well. I couldn't go back to work and we never missed a bill. Um, that's a whole another story. That's a pretty big miracle because um, we still had two houses and everything. We were newlyweds. We go through our years and the next few years and ended up getting full custody of my kids and she helped me raise them. 2017 rolled around, got married in February 2008. So 2017 in February, we celebrated nine years. And in April 2017, I was planning her funeral. Just How that in the world did that happen? Well, on Tuesday nights, my kids and I always called it Tradition Tuesday. We'd go bowling. She'd stay home, clean the house, and just, you know, she wasn't a bowler because her body wouldn't let her do it. She was feeling kind of bad. She said her right shoulder hurt really bad, but she was a lefty. So she thought maybe cleaning the house caused her shoulder to hurt, but she doesn't clean with the right hand. She cleans with the left hand. So she was a little confused. She was fine most of the week. Friday, we were going to go see a concert, but we didn't do that because, no, no, we just kind of, well, let's just stay home and relax. And then Saturday, she started to feel a little bit bad. But then that night, I heard her upstairs laughing because I was doing my best to watch the final four. And then so I knew she was feeling better because I heard her laughing. And then Sunday, um, we missed church. I played I played drums in, at church at the time. So I had to get a backup because she wasn't feeling well. And then Sunday night, she started feeling pretty bad. Well, my and here's the crazy thing. Three kids at home, right? Mm -hmm. My my youngest daughter took off to Myrtle Beach with my parents. My son played uh, football in college. He was up in West Virginia. My oldest daughter was house-sitting for somebody. 
And now remember, I'm legally blind. I don't mm. see very well. Mm -hmm. So when she started feeling bad, I, we thought it was the flu. And my daughter had some type of medication that would kind of like intercept the symptoms so you wouldn't be so sick. And I, I was asking her about that. She brought some over. She took the medication or whatever it was my daughter brought her and her fever broke. She was perky. I was like, okay, it was the flu. Well, Monday morning we wake up and she's also feeling bad again. And I said something about going to the doctor and she dealt with fibromyalgia and she didn't want to go to the doctor, lay on those hard beds. And I, I got it, but I got pretty stern with her. And I said, that's fine. But in 24 hours, if you're not feeling better, you're going to the doctor and we're not going to discuss it. You got it. And that's not really my style <laughs> to get real stern with the wife because, you know, I'm, it's just not me. You know, I try to respect in all ways, but sometimes loving people is being stern with them and making them do things even if they don't want to do it. That's what parents do to kids, right? That's because they love uh -huh. them. Same situation here. Um, I was like, well, you're going. We're not going to discuss it. You got it? And she was like, she shook her head yes. So I put her in bed, made her some toast because she hadn't eaten in a couple of days. I went to work for like four hours and I came back home early and she was seemingly okay. National championship basketball game was coming on that night. And so I went and took a shower. And when I came out of the bathroom, getting ready to go downstairs to watch the game, she was clutching her abdomen, rolling back and forth in the bed, screaming. Oh, no. And I went, uh, I asked her if she wanted to go to the emergency room first. And she said, yes, I called my daughter to take us. Then she started clutching her abdomen because she was reacting pretty strongly when I got out of the shower. Daughter was going to take us to the emergency room. Then she started screaming out in pain and agony. So my daughter's on the way. I've called the ambulance. I still don't know what's going on. I just know she's not feeling well. So while I'm waiting for the ambulance, I'm putting all of her medications in a bag Hope it was her medication. Think about it, blind guy. So I'm running around the house trying to get all of this stuff together, get my stuff together, because I'm thinking with the flu, she's going to be in there a few days. My daughter gets there before the ambulance. She comes upstairs and she says, uh, Dad, I said, yeah. She said, her lips are blue and her oh. eyes are rolling back in her head. Oh. I went, what? So at that point, I grabbed my phone again because ambulance, I don't know what was taking them so long, but I call, I was going to call 911 again. I go flying down the steps out the front door. My now son-in-law, he wasn't then, but my now son-in-law was out there and he said, here comes the ambulance. Well, they were trying to back the thing in that driveway like they had a $10 million chandelier in the thing. I'm like, let's go, let's go, let's go. Because, I mean, uh -huh. you know, when you hear that she's got blue lips and her eyes are rolling back in her head. That's not good. And I am screaming at them, let's go. And I swear this guy gets out of the ambulance and says, calm down, relax. <laughs> Make me so mad. Uh. But, but the passenger, it was a lady. She came out of that ambulance like she was shot out of a cannon. And so we got her on the stretcher, came down the steps, got her in the ambulance. And I still don't know what's going on. But we're following really? the ambulance. When they pulled out of the neighborhood, that ambulance hit the gas, hit the lights, the siren flew. And I was like, oh, no. At this point, all I can think of is please don't turn off the siren because if they do, she's gone. That's what I yes, learned. I don't, yes. I, don't, I don't know how I learned that, but I knew that. So I'm like, please don't turn off that siren all the way to the hospital. 
sirens going. They get her in. I'm like, okay, good. But then you're almost in a surreal moment because you know what's going on. You don't really want to believe what's going on. But reality was right in front of us. And when we walked in the hospital, they didn't take us to the waiting room. They took us to a private waiting room. I'm like, oh, my gosh. So the doctor comes in. He says when they got her there, she went into cardiac arrest. They had to resuscitate her. And we sat there for about an hour or so. And they kept updating us. And we went back there with her. And they had her hooked up to life support. And the doctor just came to me and he said, we've had to resuscitate her five times now. We cannot keep doing that because if she survives, it's going to be worse on her if we keep doing this. And he said, so you need to make a decision, basically, is what he said. Now, I wasn't quite grasping what he was of saying. Not. But her sister, the one married to the heart surgeon, was a nurse. And she just fought, she turned to me and said, John, they're asking you if, you if they can take the machines off. Well, now what do you do? Hmm. So my pastor was there, and I went and counseled with him for a few minutes. My oldest daughter, my son was already on the way back from West Virginia. My family, who just got to Myrtle Beach, turned right around. They just checked into the hotel. And this is like 930 at night, 10 o'clock at night. And they turned around. They're on the way back because they knew it was not looking good. Mm -hmm. And the doctor had told me a couple of times, you know, we can't even move her upstairs because if we do, she's not going to make it upstairs. So I was like, okay. And my mother-in-law, she said, John, you do what you think is best. We will support you 100%. And I thought, how comforting. Yes. Because their daughter and sister, their their loved one, her life is in my hands. Mm -hmm. And they're flat out asking me, can we take the machines off? Well, because I have lived through things and I'm a miracle in its, in itself, I just activated the faith and just knew whatever happened was it was a plan. So I said, go ahead and unlock and undo the the machines. And the doctor said, well, we'll go ahead and do it. We'll leave this one on, but we'll unhook this and that or whatever it was they had. And he said, and we'll just see how she responds. Mm -hmm. Okay. So her family, I, I kind of got out of the way, let the family go up and talk to her for a few minutes. And when I went up, I sat down next to her, um, you know, told her what she meant to me. She made me a better man. And uh, the uh, hours went by like it was like time wasn't even moving. And my sister walked up, my sister, my sister-in-law walked up and patted me on the shoulder. And she said, John, her pulse just went down to zero. And that was at 2.22 a.m., April 4th, 2017. So <laughs> my humor still doesn't go away. <laughs> we got up. They, you know, obviously started making preparations. And I was standing there with her dad, her mom. And I looked at them and I said, we have a touchscreen dryer. I don't even know how to do the laundry and you know they kind of giggled and they said you'll be all right and you know and I, I told them you know you'll always be my family no matter what and um so that was the night that she took her final breath 
And, you know, it's just, it was just like, what just happened? You know, I woke up Monday planning, or I woke, I woke up Monday and I went to work and I woke up Tuesday planning a funeral. So what I try to use is to encourage people, don't take your spouse for granted. That's right. Because let me tell you a quick little story. That was a Monday night going into Tuesday morning. That Saturday, I came downstairs and she was fixing some breakfast. And I don't know what it was that irritated me. But I'm a man and I have a tendency to shut down when I get upset. That's just what I do. People think it's a silent treatment. I'm like, I just don't want to say anything wrong. And plus, I, I like to pout. Because that's just what I do. It's a weakness of mine. I just pout. And I looked at her and I said, I think I looked at her. And I said, just don't fix me anything. I started walking down the hallway, turned the corner to go up the steps. And I thought, you jerk. You go back over there. So I walked back over there and I rounded the corner and I went, (laughs) I went, good morning. And I remember I can still to this day, because you know, I can see if the lighting is perfect and I could see her facial expression. And it was almost comical because she gave me a look like you can't be serious after, <laughs> after you just were a jerk. She didn't say anything. And then the and then everything was fine. What if? Exactly. My, my little pouting, <clears throat> my little four-year-old attitude dominated me and I did not go back. What would the rest of the weekend held and would I be sitting in this chair today with regret? But see, here's the great thing. I have no regrets. We made the most of everything. And that's the way it's supposed to be. That's an incredible and wonderful story. One thing that I don't think you shared and that is what happened to her? Well, she when <laughs> we were in the hospital, oddly, well, I, I don't want to say that. We were in the emergency room while they were working on her, and the nurse standing next to her hospital or her, yeah, her bed there, she said, why did you bring her in? I'm like, well, I had nothing else to do tonight. I was bored. What do you think I brought her in here for? I mean, literally started to interrogate me. And I said, she's not feeling well. Well, she's got a big old bruise on her right side. Mm. Okay, well, I'm blind. Mm -hmm. I don't know. And that's why I said something about my kids being gone. Nobody saw it. As a matter of fact, Saturday night, she was trying to take a bath. And I got her out of the bathtub and held her up. She was so weak. And she wanted me to uh, rub some biofreeze on her back. And I literally, and I mean literally, barely touched her right like shoulder blade and she almost collapsed i had to catch her and she held herself up against the wall and i was like what in the world is going on i could not see this bruise but she had a very small cut on her right shoulder blade how she got that we don't know she was very sensitive but that's you know that's a whole another story but Mm -hmm. We think an infection got through that area, which is where the bruising came from, and it caused sepsis. Okay, that would make sense, yes. Yeah, and by the time she got to the hospital, the sepsis had already entered the bloodstream. And they say once it gets in your bloodstream, you're pretty much, unless there's a miracle, you're you're done. 
because yes. it shuts down your organs. I was smiling with you in moments. I definitely was crying with you. And I was also rejoicing with you. And I know that this is not the end of this phenomenal story. We're going <laughs> to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about your book, which is a result of what you went through. And I love the title. I'm only going to give the first part of that title, which is Stop the Whining. We'll be right back. Carol Graham would like to show you the path from misery to miraculous triumph in her fast-paced memoir, Battered Hope. She relates her determination to succeed as someone who experienced one horrendous nightmare after another. Gang raped and left for dead, loss of a child, husband falsely imprisoned, and cancer. Nothing could break her tenacity or faith. No matter what you face, heartache, loss, suffering or injustice, Carol will illustrate how she became a victor the same way you can. The secret is to never, ever give up hope. Order your copy at Amazon or batteredhope.blogspot.com. John Helton's amazing story today. I just took a deep breath during the break because what he endured, what he went through, what he survived is nothing short of a miracle. And he is going to now share a little bit about the book that he has written and how his life has changed as a result. So tell us about your book, John. Well, um, I appreciate it. It's called Stop Your Whining, Legally Blind with 2020 Vision. And I wrote it, um, I told, I tell all of the details about the illness, what happened, and of course there's a lot of humor spread throughout. And then I talk about becoming a widower. And the book is, it's geared, there's more to it, but it's geared to inspire people, but also challenge their thinking and to help them look at things with a different perspective. And that's why I have the legally blind with mm -hmm. 2020 vision, because um, people like to whine and complain about everything. Example, <laughs> I can't believe all this COVID stuff. I'm stuck in my house and I'm quarantined and I can't go anywhere. I'm like, well, stop your whining. That's my everyday life. <laughs> you know, when, my, when, when, when the wife's not here, I can't just jump in a car and go somewhere. At least they can jump in a car and drive around town and get some fresh air. I can go for a walk, but that is it. And then, and of course, I know we'll talk about this in a minute. I keep saying my wife, um, she came to me one day and she said, you know, with everybody in the mask going, I could barely recognize who they were. I said, and your point, right. <laughs> you know, and people don't think about those things. You know, one funny story with her is I have a white van that I've had for a really long time, use it as a backup. I am very sensitive to light because my pupils do not um, contract when the light hits them. So every bit of light gets in and I already have, you know, very little vision. And so we're outside doing, oh, I was loading my books up to go down to a, a, a thing that they had going on. And I'm out there in the driveway with this white van and I hear her from the garage say, I can't find my eyeliner. I can't believe where's my eyeliner. I said, sweetheart. I can't find the van. What are you crying about? <laughs> and she starts giggling. She says, I know not to say anything around you. 
So the, the book just talks about um, mindset, challenging the oh, mindset. Um, when things happen, you know, how do you respond to that? That's what's important because I can't help it that I got those diseases. I can't help it that she passed away. So what's the main thing from those? Do you sit around and whine about it? Or do you put your feet on the ground in the appropriate timing and keep on going? And that's what I decided to do. Had I sat around the entire year and moped, whined and complained, well, let me say this, a month after she passed, I bowl in these national blind bowling tournaments and I almost didn't go like it's too fast, you know, less than two months after, after your wife's funeral, what do you do? But I went and I even write the story in the book about that tournament and the mindset that I had in that tournament during some difficult moments, not because of her. I just was bowling really bad (laughs) and this is a national tournament. And, you know, the rebound was, do you whine about the really horrible doubles tournament you just bowled in? Or do you reset your mind and say, there's nothing I can do about that now. I need to get my head straight because the singles were coming up. And then I go on to win the scratch singles national title. It's the mindset. What if I sit and whine about those other three games I couldn't do a thing about? That's kind of what I talk about in the book. How are you going to respond So I ended up doing that in all summer long. I'm a single widower, legally blind, single, single widower. (laughs) And then I'm starting to think when I'm ready to date, how's that going to work? Oh, no. (laughs) But you did, didn't you? I did. So what happened? I, (laughs) this is so awesome. Legally blind with 2020 vision. I met this girl named Tanya and Somebody from my church, when she came to church with me for the first time, sent me an email that day and said, John Helton, I am convinced you are not blind. <laughs> I met I met Tanya. We got married the following year. Um, it was December when I met her of that same 2017. And it just I knew that the girl I would marry once I met her. I knew it because being Mm -hmm. legally blind and having to deal with all the stuff I've dealt with being widowed and all that. I just, I just knew. And I met her and the first night we went on a date, I was like, Oh my gosh, I like that girl. And so the kind of awkward having your son take you on a date so you can meet somebody. I mean, think (laughs) about the awkwardness I was going through, but if it's okay to go ahead and say this, our story is so wild. I'm writing a book <laughs> That's about the story. Excellent. So what's the name of that book? This book is going to be called God Sent Me a Personal Text Message, The Story of the Blind Leading the Blonde. Oh, that's wonderful. Oh, my goodness. So, I love it. Thank you. So tell us a little bit about that. Is it your story about the second marriage and what happened, etc.? Somewhat, yeah. Um, being a Christian, you know, I, I, I want to do my best to live by the Bible, God's guidelines and his word. And there were some issues that I was uncomfortable knowing the right way or the wrong way. And so I'm, I'm counseling with my pastor. I'm counseling with this lady. At this point, I had been a Christian for 27 and a half years. And 
there's this thing called legalism. And for those who do not know what that is, that's being overly zealous about following religious rules without really understanding the principle or the concept behind them. And so I was in that area, but I also listened to Christian metal and, you know, things that maybe a traditional quote unquote religious person, I hate using that term, but just to make it simple, a religious person would freak out over. And then I met Tanya and I heard about her story. I heard about what happened to her. I heard about how she responded and how her life was an absolute mess for years and years and years. And now I'm going to get choked up. When I met her, I met a broken little girl who had literally pretty much no chance in life. And it's like John was widowed. Tanya needed guidance and a man to love her like she deserves to be loved. And for whatever reason, God saw me as the fit for that purpose. And he saw her as a fit for bringing me back to being married, which is something I love. And when God puts something in order and has a purpose for it, there is another side of the story, create a creation named Satan himself, who will do everything he can to blow up the purpose. And that is somewhat, well, that was what was going on. But every single time I had a fear or a or anything like that, God would show up in these most bizarre ways that could only be described as God moving. There's no other way to put it. And it started happening so fast, I started documenting within like a week of us dating. I was like, man, this is some weird stuff. So I started to jot down and document all these things that were happening. And I'm really glad I did because the night before we got married, I'm not going to give the details. I hope everybody <laughs> can read this book because it will blow your mind. I told you I like Christian rock and there's a band called Disciple that's really good. They're very ministry oriented and she loves Disciple. The first caption she ever put on one of our pictures on Facebook said, God is with us. Well, that's the name of a song from Disciple. I was bowling in Las Vegas in the national tournament out there. And on the way home on the flight, I started feeling really scared about marrying her. Now I had already bought the engagement ring and everything. It was all planned. I already had the engagement planned out. And so I started feeling really nervous and scared to the point where I started getting sick at my stomach. We get home. I see her. And that night I was taking her to Nashville to see Disciple. I love surprises. She had no idea what concert we were going to. All she knew is we were going to a concert. Now, remember, up until this point, I've been dealing with this now for about six months of this fear. Am I doing something wrong? And so um, when I got to that when, when, when I saw her, I gave her a hug and I looked at her and I said, I have to tell you, I'm starting to feel scared again. And she starts to cry and she's like, I was hoping you were over this by now. And I said, I tell you what, let's pray. And I bear hugged her and I said, God, please battle for me. I'm sick of this. I'm sick of these thoughts. I know they're not of you, but they're, they're just please 
Would you get my back and, and go to battle for me, please? Well, I felt a little better, but, you know, it was still there. We head to Nashville. It's about a two-hour drive. We walk in the venue. She sees the Disciple merchandise. She gets all excited. And I said, well, be ready because Kevin, who's the singer, he's very ministry oriented. So he will give a message from the stage. So we're waiting for the show to start. Now, remember the prayer I just prayed. We're waiting for the show to start. My phone buzzes and I picked it up and I listened to it because I have a voiceover so I can read my text messages. And it was the verse of the day. Now, let me tell everybody, there's 31,102 verses in the Bible. This verse of the day on my phone, when I listened to my phone, it said, Exodus 14, 14, the Lord will go to battle for you. Just be still. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I prayed that. And I said, Tanya, she looked at me and I held the phone up and she starts to crack up because that's not the first time that's happened that specific. But the story's not over. Disciples playing their music. He stops to minister from the stage, and right when he gets finished, this is exactly what he says. I have video of this thing. He says, and let me tell you all something. God will go to battle for you, and sometimes you don't have to do anything. And they went straight into God is with us. Straight <laughs> into oh, it. Oh, that's incredible. That happened in one day. One day. And I have so many stories like that. Well, it, this will be in the new book. It will, Yes, all okay. of these stories will be in the new book. And that will be available when? Probably I'm really trying to get it done by spring 2022. Okay. Because I'm also writing another book at the same time. Okay. All so. right. Well, this has been a journey. <laughs> <laughs> to say the did, least. And we barely touched the surface. <laughs> I, I totally get it. And that's true with most people who have written yeah. memoirs such as you have because you can only share so much in an interview. And yeah. the, we, we don't want to share too much either because we want people to buy your books. And the links to that will all be on the webpage as well as long as your website and how people can contact you hear more of your story etc so I want to thank you John from the bottom of my heart for what you shared today and how you inspired me anew and afresh and I'm sure you have done the same for my audience so I thank you for being on never ever give up hope is there anything you would like to say in conclusion well, I, I do I do want to challenge people. I mean, you know, I go to churches and I speak and I, I try to encourage people by literally stop whining. That's going to get you nowhere. You were created to be a conqueror and that's what you need to walk in. And, you know, things happen, but respond in a way that's going to help you move forward because that's the only way to respond if you're going to live a happy, victorious life. And so my last thing is, you know, I've built two websites. I bowl, I play drums. Um, I did all that coaching stuff that you mentioned early on. And here's my catchphrase, and I'll leave everybody with this. If a blind guy can do it, what's your excuse? And that should be the title of your new new book. <laughs> <laughs> i got to get the other two written yeah, first. Right. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you again, John. And we will be hearing more of you. And then. To our audience, thank you for listening. 
and please take a look at John's books, his website, connect with him on Facebook, every place else you are in for an exciting time with John, I am sure, because what he has shared not only here, but in his books and what's coming up is going to be even more so. And we look forward to having you back. Thank you, John. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.